forgiving one person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Hello, my friends. It is so good to be back at See One Beautiful Soul. It has been a minute. There was a war declared on Israel on October 7th this past year. And I don't know about you, but I took it all very much to heart. I've been taking it to the social medias on Instagram. If you're following me, I've been posting, if not daily, multiple times per week. I also have been on tour with my show, Messianic Moments and Cosmic Conversations. Uh, Not only were we in a big festival here in LA and won an award and performed multiple times, But we also went to New York and performed in the United Solo Festival, where we were reviewed in a few newspapers and were gifted with a second show in the festival because the first show sold out. That was fun. Then I performed on Christmas Eve at a synagogue, of course, in Hollywood, Florida. So from Hollywood to Hollywood. And my mom got to see it in person. Finally, she was laughing the whole time, which was great. Uh, And then I recently performed in Sedona, on New Year's Eve. I had been asking God for many months, please help me interview some survivors from the Holocaust because how epic would it be to hear from them about forgiveness? And through the grace of God and my dear friend, Ellie Ordan, and his wife, Ava, I was able to interview Ava's parents who, thank God, are still alive and kicking. And they are just magical human beings, Rachel and Arthur Zicherman. So I hope you get a lot out of this episode. I also wanted to air this episode now because what's going on in the world is obviously being orchestrated by something much bigger than all of us. And a lot of my colleagues, friends, teachers, and rabbis are saying things like, oof, this could be the beginning of another Holocaust, God forbid. And there were about 15 million Jews in the world before the Holocaust happened. And that's about how many there are right now. So I thought, who better to listen to if we're scared of that happening again? How can we learn to prevent it from happening again uh, by listening to people who survived it? When I see well-meaning people, friends, colleagues of mine, defending jihadists, uh, people who are running Hamas, um, leadership that I have done research on that I know to be scary, uh, saying horrific, dangerous lies about the Jewish people, about Israel, about democracy, about America, about the truth and basic history. I start to fear that, God forbid, these predictions could be right. I have to remember that the whole reason why I started this podcast is to teach people about how we are all one. Our job as human beings is to look for the good, look for the light, be the light, treat one another the way that we want to be treated, and to grow. And there, unfortunately is something called evil in the world. And sometimes you have to stand up and fight against it. Listening to Rachel and Arthur talk about what they had to go through and how they were able to keep their faith. Rachel, by singing, find her way out. And 
as I quoted Viktor Frankl in my first episode, who also is a survivor of the Holocaust, no matter what conditions we're living in, uh, even if we're living in, quote unquote, a free society, there can be moments where you feel like you're living in the twilight zone and you are responsible for taking a deep breath and feeling free even when the people around you are saying you don't deserve to be free or you're wrong just for existing. I have some well-meaning friends who are constantly supporting and defending people who are asking for the destruction of the Jewish people, are asking for the destruction of Israel as a state, as a nation. They're saying things like Zionism is racism and Israel, God forbid, is an apartheid or colonizing place, which I know is not true because I've lived there for almost two years and have been back multiple times. Regardless of what they're trying to say about Israel that I know to be false, I also know that the bigger truth here is actually not even intellectual, it's a spiritual truth. What I'm going to do is allow myself to take deep breaths, dance, sing, share, speak, use my free will, use the freedoms that we have in America right now, because this is where I live, to uplift and to be the best person that I can possibly be and to spread truth and to be a really good person because that has merit. That has a lot more merit than trying to prove what I know to be logical to people who are not thinking logically and who have never been to the region and don't understand the conflict and have no clue that the people who they're saying I'm against are actually much more similar to me and have the same enemy that I do. And that is, there's a small group of people in the world that are constantly looking to destroy goodness. They're constantly looking to destroy light. It took me a long time because I'm such a spiritual person and I try to look for the good. It took me a long time to realize that there is a group of people like this and they are, exist in every generation and they're actually our best teachers because they remind us what we're actually here for and that is to make the world better. And we each have a part in that, to recognize it, see it, pray for those people to not necessarily be wounded or hurt or suffer, but that their ideology, the one that tries to destroy goodness, that I, that ideology should be destroyed and that they see the light. You know, there's so many stories about people who used to belong to the KKK, God forbid, or white supremacists that actually had a change of heart and they became good people before they died. Uh, they made peace and they asked amends. By the end of their life, realized how horrific their choices were and they, they were able to change. That's what I pray for. I, I also pray for the safety and the support of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, uh, the American armies, um, and anyone that is an ally of nations that want civility, and democratic laws and rights for all human beings and that they should be supported because sometimes we actually have to fight and it hurts me to have to say that sometimes we have to fight but at the same time it would hurt me more to say oh well we didn't fight so now everybody is under jihad rule or tyrannist rule may we all only know peace may we all pay attention 
to what our heart is saying. May we take really deep breaths and be the light, even in our smallest interactions in the grocery store, with our next door neighbors, with our roommates, with our friends, with our family, whoever we come into contact with, to be the light, not get bogged down by what we're seeing, this evil that's in the world, but to, to look for the light and be the light because that has more power than any news story, than any TikTok video, anything that's viral, any one influencer who has millions of followers that is spouting lies. We can change the entire world. Margaret Mead once said that it only takes a small group of good citizens who are fighting for good to change the entire world. I think about that every day and that's what gives me chizuk, that's what gives me strength. So. Without further ado, I want to introduce you to Rachel and Arthur Zicherman. I am sitting here with two very holy people. Sometimes you just know, even before they open their mouth. This is Rochelle. My name is Rochelle Zicherman, and I'm a Holocaust survivor, and I'm from Czechoslovakia. My husband, Arthur Zicherman, and he is also from Czechoslovakia. Let's start at the beginning. So which city were you born in? Oh, it's in Berek, Czechoslovakia, Karpetia. The same, just 30 kilometers. How old were you when you went into the camps, the Holocaust? 14. I was 14, and they take us a day after Pesach, right away after, after Pesach. I remember my mommy for rest in peace. She was denied baked bread, come out from the room and it smelled so good. And she just started to take her out from the oven in the morning, the bread or the Hungarian, get together with the Germans. And they was even worse. Came a gendarme to the dorm with a horse, said then he gave us, I don't remember, an hour or a little bit more to pack and take food, and we'd have to go with them to the neighbor, to the neighbor, the Jewish family. And we packed and in a wagon, we had our own horses, sheep, goose. My father was only one son. He had a lot of land, and people used to work for us. They liked to come to work. I remember when I was little, my mommy called, rest in peace, and Tati called, wherever they are. They, uh, oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. We had bees. And my mommy used to bake twice a week bread, and she cut bread and put honey and sent me in the fields for the people who worked. They was working with, in the potatoes and yeah. corn fields, and then in the fall, the grass, they was cutting the grass. We went with the wagon to the city, and from the city, they take us to to ghetto. Where was the ghetto? What city? Uh, this was a, a Jewish man. There was a factory 
book where they made the breaks, breaks to build. It breaks. was yeah. called an Hungarian, I don't know, Shoyovish Teglajar. And everybody had like this uh, space, and here a couple breaks, and here a couple breaks. So like a like a cell, like yeah, a no, like a like a roof, a little roof, sticks. So we put there the food, bread, and cookies, and the pillows, and the blankets on the floor where we was sitting weeks. And me and my sister, two years, and we used to get up and go look around and look how they break people with children. And, and some of them went to hell to take off the children and from the car, from the truck. And some of them grow up around. We see far, not so far from the people. And there was a, a canal, or it wasn't water, just just a mess from the water. It was uh, dirt. My tati rest in peace. He wants to put on the newspaper, look for him. We don't hear nothing about him for three years. The no, no letter, no nothing. It came a man, yes, God sent him. He was working there. He was a big shot before the, he came to working in the lager, taking care, walking back and forth. And my daddy could tell him, yeah, I want to put in the newspaper my son. He says, you must It's a war. Who, will, who has newspaper? Who will read the newspaper? Wherever he is, if he survives, he will come home. And he won't survive, then it's no good. So he didn't. Later, the next day or the two days later, again he comes. Because he was something, I think, related from my mommy side. He said to my daddy, well, first, shave your uh, beard because this was uh, in May that some of them already done went to school, was finished. How long were you in the ghetto for? A couple of weeks. Then the train took you to Auschwitz. Auschwitz. How long were you in Auschwitz for? Two months. I was liberated. And it was one lady, but she survived. And she was telling in the Rachel Schwiers. Oh, Schwiers. And we arrived to Auschwitz 70 in one and in one car, 70 people. Yeah. That's terrible. And then they take us to uh, Hungary to work. Uh, work on Working, the yeah. He said, Kinder, we're not going to Hungary. They take us somewhere else. Oh, yeah. One barrel on the, on the inside, and everybody was going there, and nothing to cover up, nothing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Was it like was this. you, your mom, your dad, and your siblings in one car? And Yeah. But when you got to Auschwitz, you separate? 
from your family? We got to Auschwitz on wires and people and dry uh, clothes. Because to a, a long, big barrack, and we're sitting outside on the floor. Then come two ladies. They was probably from Poland. They're already a long time. And they was asking who has mouths of fat, fat chicken fat. jam to give them to them because we have believed their everything outside. We have believed their everything. So who had to give it to them? We don't have because we are finished in the ghetto. And we are here big screaming. I don't know, not far from the crematory or from the, all those people, when we went from the train, then they put to the left and to the right. So we, the, the people who went to the right, that's what we was sitting there on the floor, and which went to the left, we never see them. They put them in a guest room, and not water came, gas, and they gassed him, them, and then they burned them. They, so now Auschwitz uh, came a lot of German soldiers, and they came to the door and knocked on the door and told the men to come out, quick, quick, get out. So my daddy and my brother went out. Nobody had the time to give him a hug or say goodbye and a kiss, and the same to mommy. And then the, when they take away the man, then the woman came all from the train, and they put us all. She tell us if we will go together, just, and she looked, and she put the, to the right, and the rest to the left, to the right, to the left. And we was staying, collect us like soldiers till they all the people. But got. in that moment when you got separated, who were you with? Who stayed with you and who had to leave? The two more sisters. There was three sisters. So you and two sisters. Yes. And that's when you said goodbye to your parents? You never saw them again? That's what I said, that I don't have more tears. The last time you saw your mom and dad. And the train, the Lear come In the train, on the way to Auschwitz. That was the last and time you out saw And Lear was going till the lady was on the front. And you didn't say goodbye? No, don't give a hug or a kiss. They went to the left. You were so uh, tight and scared. To the left, and we went to the right, the three of us. We was there a year. We don't had not once, we don't had shower. Wow. Just the same one dress. So then came the, the time for us to go in. Everybody was already uh, shaking, was afraid. So we went in, and then we had to uh, undress in a big room. And was three Germans or four, and a dog, a dog. Some people, ladies had the mantle. It was so hard to undress everything. They said everything, everything. So one lady from Hungary picked up her hand 
and she says then she speaks German and she will explain to the people whether they're all there on a big space and and she was already naked. So one soldier had a heart to tell for the other one to go to bring her a dress and she put on the dog shouldn't touch her. So that's what she said. You have to undress everything, everything, the shoes. And everybody was hiding. The man was cutting the hair. Then you go to the lady, she was cutting under the arm. You go to this lady, she cut the bottom. And from there, again, a, a little hallway, and then they collect us there. We was afraid that maybe they will put an us also gas. They put water and rinse low. You go outside. They, and there was two ladies. They told the dress. And we start to cry. We didn't even recognize each other, the, the sisters. The they took away your dignity because you can't, you have nothing. Yeah, a little bit, but the names. They threw the, this dress, no belt, nothing for the head, nothing. And was a big box, my junk. So we left our shoes outside in the room there and had to pick up from there what fits you. So I, I find uh, you just, you know, step in. Flippers. Yeah, chapels. <laughs> Just to step in, nothing in the front of slippers. Yeah. We went from there to uh, Geislinger. Geislinger. was there till the end to Germany from Auschwitz. And Germany was a little bit better. Everybody just went from Auschwitz to get out. I was 14 when I went there. Okay, so all together, you were in the Holocaust for one year? One year. One year. And it takes a day after Pesach, the end of April, May, and we are liberated in May. Shviyas. On A year later. And who came to rescue you? We were liberated in a forest, and they had a a place for us, already built, and there we have two on a bed, not a mattress, and a little pillow for the head. And it was clean, we don't see nothing, only civil big houses. And the factory was, the factory was like you will never know that it's a factory. My oldest sister was taken from Auschwitz. Everybody, we stopped in the in a forest. Horses. It's, it's like old. a cattle train. Right. Cattle. But it, the men went upstairs. I guess the women were downstairs. Okay. And it was pouring yeah. rain. It was all the men were like soaking wet. Oh, yeah, yeah. The train was going. They, and then they stopped in a forest. And it was a little place, grass, and they. We stayed there, and two soldiers was in every place with us, two Germans. And one man come and open a little bit the door and, and give to every 
individual, a little package. So we're thinking must be Red Cross. Everybody got a little box. And, and each box had... It was their dry milk. And chocolate. A, some kind of bread and chocolate. Cigarettes, you said. I think cigarettes or Unbelievable. something. Unbelievable. It was thousand people. And then where we was, it wasn't so bad. But, uh, dinner in the morning, you don't get nothing for lunch, black coffee. Or for dinner, we had already when we came back from the factory to this place. And, and but like, so far, all I hear is German soldiers. Were there American soldiers with you or British soldiers with you? Yes. There the Germans. All the time, but the dog. The Close German the soldiers. Door. Yeah. They were watching them. I don't know. Like they were taking them. Yeah. But they knew the war was ending. So right. they were. Amazing. Yeah. They just took orders, whether it was good or bad. You were with your sisters the whole time? No. This, the two of two them. Of, oh, the older was taken from Auschwitz to also somewhere to Germany. Or she was tall. And I think they, they choose her yeah. in the kitchen. She worked in the kitchen. She saved uh, two, three people. Amazing. She was putting uh, cooked potatoes uh, and you and she take in the barrack where she was sleeping. Yeah. yeah. And you found each other after the war, all of your family? After the war. We came and we liberated. We stayed a couple of days in a house, in a German house. It's called Tiefeldorf. And then the bottom was cows. And we, me and my sister, we know because we had. Yeah, the farm, yeah. So we take we was in a kitchen. It was two or three beds upstairs, like a house, and downstairs it was very clean. And we take dishes and we went and we take the milk from the cow and we brought up and everybody was drinking Zamachaya. The American soldier came, he brought something, I think, to eat or what, and the German already complained to, to the American soldier Then we take the milk from the cow. From there, after two, three days, and they gave us some paper, a little card, I think a green card, and they was asking who wants to go to America, oh, to other God. countries. What you had to do for that green card. And we want to go home. We still don't believe. We have nobody at home. So they take us to Czechoslovakia and Prague, already a Jewish uh, kitchen and eat there and they give us money to go farther wherever you you want to go. And there comes a, a, a girl who, who was with us in Auschwitz in the factory. And she was already there and she says, girls, to me and to my sister, your sister shined there as a light. She went already home. And uh, to Czechoslovakia. How do you know? She says, every person who comes from the kitchen writes their name. Wow. She said, I will show you exactly her name where she signed. 
So we are believing her. Oh, this another happiness. We went down, and there was a, the, the occupied by the Russian, the Poland, and Hungarian, Czechoslovakia. So when you got home, did you go back to your original house in Czechoslovakia, now Russia? So three oh, sisters, three sisters, one brother, and you all came back together in. Czechoslovakia, yeah, uh, Russia. Yes. And when, yeah. And you yes. went to see your house, and what happened? Yeah. There was a gentleman who took over and managed the... Well, they had a huge... Yeah, so did my family. They came from a wall. But street. did you get it back? Sell your house. We stayed just in this one room. For how long did you stay there? Not too long. We... I, we got in Budapest in Czechoslovakia and in Budapest money. And, and you left, you went to America. Oh, no. Three of us. How long did you stay there? We didn't go until 1970. So you were born there. You are from Shamayim. <laughs> Hashem is using you to teach the world about kindness. Hashem asked you and your husband a big job before you came here to the world. And he said, I have to teach the world kindness through you. But now I have to ask you the most important question I ask all my guests, okay? How can you forgive Hashem, life, and the people that did this to you? How can you do that? How do you get up in the morning and say, well, that's okay. That was what I got. How do you do that? I just, uh, I just get up in the morning and I say, God in you, God in heaven, and seven heaven, I love you, I believe you, and you just give me another day. Uh, and I appreciate Dunbar and Yiddish for every minute, for every hour, then we're still here. I'm a Koyan. Me too. And, I, and then I ask for my children. Yeah. They should be well, they should be, get married, and uh, they should have an easy life. Um, I mean, and I don't think about, yeah. um, about the Germans try to forget and not to bring them out. I have a book, it's a yellow, it says about the yellow star, a book. Yeah. How do you teach your children that, and your grandchildren, like Brittany, who I know, how do you teach them that people are good? How do you trust that people are good and you can forgive people when they do bad. Yes. How? How do you do? What do you tell it's, them? See, like you said, my grandchildren, they went to Hillel. And they was there at that time very good teachers. But how do you teach them? What do you tell them? If they say, Bobby, how, how do I believe that people are good? Look what happened to you. Many things. Do you, Rochelle, yeah. believe yeah. that people are inherently good. Uh, every child is born with a good soul. Do you think they're all born that way? I hope so. I think so. Not all of them. Not all of them. 
I don't know, but other children are mine. <laughs> Do you walk around on your heart with anger? Are you angry in your heart? Many times. So really? How, so how do you let it go? Because you can't sleep if you're angry, right? Before we go to sleep, we say bedtime shema. Please Hashem, forgive, please God, forgive everyone who hurt me. In this lifetime, in the past lifetime, now or re or when I was a little girl, how do you say that prayer? Did you ever say to God, take this anger on my heart, take it away? Did you ever ask him? It's happened. Or uh, we, I turn on the TV. I have Jewish channel. <laughs> when we are angry at each other, then it gets worse. In other words, I learned, yeah, yeah, my teachers have yeah. taught me that the way to deal with someone who is, God forbid, the worst of the worst, no, you do. ask God to love them and you ask God to melt their anger because if I keep saying, oh, they're... then they become that. I forget. It's not good to be angry. It's not good for your heart. Not good for the children. It takes me a couple minutes and then I forget. So that's okay. That's okay. Do you believe that what you went through, it's so hard for me to ask this to you. <laughs> But I have to ask I, you, I do you just, believe that there was a purpose? I I don't know. Was there like a purpose? Why did this happen? Do you think? Not why, I but mean, do you think that there okay, is? There was a reason. Yeah, you don't have to say the reason. A lot of people say, if you have a reason for the Holocaust, God forbid, no one does, then you you can't be asked because you're not a survivor, right? I've been through hard things, not nearly as hard as you, Hashem don't test me. But you're like superwoman. You have a cape. I can't see it, but I know it's there, right? So I can ask you, do you think, even if you don't know what the purpose is, do you think there was a purpose for what you went through? When God allows for the bad things to happen in life, do you think there must be good reason? Well, you you can ask nobody why. Right, that's true. I, I don't know. They used to say, won't suffer for thousands and thousands, suffer for one if they if not so nice, like some uh, Jewish people against Israel. Oh, I can't stand that. I know. So that's the, the, the where you can go ask a question that a Jew... And some of them, even the parents, uh, Holocaust or, or grandparents. So who you can go ask questions? What can you do? If I be close to them, I will give them a, a zest in the head. As you can tell, I don't have a filter. Like, I really love the Jewish people. I was raised without it. Um. So when I thought to run, I fell in love with the Jewish people. Oh. And that became my family. And I went to Birkenau and I I stood on the grass there and I saw in a hallucination. I saw myself there. They say a lot of Belshubas like me who are mm -hmm. crazy and start keeping Shabbat after yeah. 25 years that we were there. 
Wow. So I was standing there at Auschwitz. I went and I could feel I was there before. Like Anne Frank, I said, I still believe all people are good. And maybe I didn't have a right to say it. Because I wrote a show about how if we don't talk to each other and we just fire each other and cancel, we're going to end up like that, God forbid. We have to learn how to sit with each other mm -hmm. and talk things out. I feel so lucky to meet you. I went to Israel no. five times. <laughs> you are a miracle. <laughs> so, uh, Koyan, you're strong. Not like that. <laughs> like Shelby. And I wish you a very happy, nice, sweet year. Amen. And you should find the right person. Amen. Hi, Arthur. Hi. <laughs> okay, so why don't you tell me you were also in Auschwitz or another camp? This, this was when I was born, I was in Czechoslovakia. When the war is ended, my my mom first marriage was the husband was died in the first world war. Then she remarried. And she was a businesswoman. How do you forgive Hashem for what happened? I I I don't blame nobody because we maybe let them in Hitler only take take out the Jewish people. Nobody likes us. Nobody likes I don't know why. You know why my teacher said? Pardon me? My rabbis mm -hmm. taught me that yeah. the reason why people don't like Jews at the root in the center of it is because we have Torah. And the Torah is the beginning of everything, and everyone knows it. But we are not always doing our job, and we have Jews, like, like your beautiful wife said, who are not doing our job. They're, it doesn't mean that, God forbid, we need punishment like this, chas v'shalom. But we know, all of us know, when we're not doing the right thing. And Hitler said in his book, Mein Kampf, Mm -hmm. That until he gets rid of every Jew in the world, God forbid, God forbid, we will always believe in God. You represent Hashem. So it scares people because you're so kind and so good. And it's inside of us. I believe in God. The Russian army save our life. But not only me and, the, and my wife, the whole world. Yeah. Jewish people save, save our, our life. I don't know why they don't like us. Because we work for Hashem. And there's a lot of people that just want to be animals. Hitler said, let us let us go to the bathroom in the street. We don't want to have rules for bathroom and bathing. Who cares? We're animals. That's what he said in the same breath. In the in the in, in the book, mouth. yeah. Like, he said, "Until we get rid of it's the most famous line." 
It's on every Holocaust uh, museum wall. It'll say, until we eradicate every Jew that will have a circumcision on the heart and a circumcision on the body. And he he knew, like the way Haman yeah. would, right? Yeah. From every evil villain has knows that the Jews represent God. So he was saying, we don't need consciousness, conscientiousness. It's literally what it says. And my rabbi said that if the the Jews in Berlin had actually taken it seriously and read it. They would have taken it to the prime minister and said, we can't have this guy run for office. But they didn't. They just kept saying, oh, he's a whack job. It'll right. never happen. Right. Yeah. He wrote the book in, in the prison. And there is in the, in the Torah, if your enemy get punished. <laughs> it's okay. Don't be happy. That's right. That's exactly why I started my podcast, because we take so much for granted when we are good. And if we can walk around and show people you don't rejoice when your enemy gets hurt, you feel bad for them. Don't be happy. I don't know how I survive, how we went through. I don't know. I don't know. Hashem like you. You have a Bible name. Me too. Rachel. And what's your Hebrew name? Avram? Uh, yeah. When you have little hurts in your life now, right? Like someone cuts you off in the car or someone says something stupid. How do you deal with that? Do you hold the anger on your heart or do you let it go? No. Okay. I, I made a lot of mistakes in my life. You and too? Many going to save my life. Many non-Jewish people have saved your life. Okay. Thank God. Thank God. Uh, you, you don't know how many, many Jews were killed in. You know how many? Six million. You. Six million. And six million other people and one million children. What do you you tell your children when someone is mean to them? Do you tell them to fight back, be angry, or let it go? Do their best. Do the best. Don't don't fight. Don't fight. Chabad. You you heard. Chabad is in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I heard. It's a miracle. The biggest anti-Semitic in the in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. I don't know how this happened. You're so serious. So you are the daughters of these two very holy, righteous people, Rochelle and Abraham. I'm going to start calling you Abraham, Arthur. Tell me what it's like to grow up with people who are this awake and this miraculous. It's fun and adventurous and very positive. My parents just thank God every morning when they get up and all is good. My father never complains. Nothing ever hurts until something's really bad and then we find out about it because he won't say anything. 
but my mother always has a fun story. I mean, I, I come here on Shabbos and we play Rummy Cube and she goes into a song. I, I say one word and she makes a song out of it. Wait, it doesn't come right away. How about Pamir, <laughs> Vista Shane? Remember that? Oh, yeah, this a little Hungarian, little Yiddish. My Yiddish says, mama. <laughs> you know that one? She has no, that. These I, are... I think, Eure Boyne Shaloylam Helferale Yidin. Eure Boyne Shaloylam Helferale Yidin. And what are the words? What do they mean? means God. which means help the Jewish people. Okay. happiness, a party. Let there be happiness. happiness. Speaking happiness. Yes. And let. Or the Messiah come from. Yeah. Hungarian songs or your Ukrainian songs. We that made up songs while they were in camp. Oh, so like my camp gosh. songs to yeah. keep them going. It's like a t true story. Okay, let's hear it. Okay. From dear got a line, is Badir Gott in the hand. Die Hoster war schaffen über die ganze Welt. Die Host mit deiner Hand umgeschrieben. Ich so Sonne benaht von dem Heim vertrieben. Wollen auf Schweizer Lager. Bin ich verworfen geworden, von dir Gott allein gekommen der Zorn. Ich geier immer die Gassen, ich weiß nicht, wie man ich sieht. El, wie sind meine Eltern und wie bin ich? Oi Gott in Jusisser, fier mich heim. Ich will schon nicht mehr du sein. Weil in Auschwitzer Lager bin ich verworfen geworden. Von dir Gott allein ist gekommen der Zorn.
So what is the, what do those words mean? Do you know? Anymore. In the Constitution cabinet, you're going to the gas chamber, and there's nobody there except God alone. And God, you know, please write something, you know, so I, I want to go home and I want to see my parents, my parents, something like that. Did you write that song? No, no, no someone else. No. It's the girls wrote it. Concentration camp, somebody. Wow. And that's yeah. how they got through it. Yeah. It sounds a little bit like the like the responsive singing in on Rosh Hashanah. The da 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 da. You know that. Yes. And like if you ask my girls, you know, they would come over and say, "Bubby, how are you doing?" What is your answer when the girls say to you, "Bubby, how are you doing?" You always say, "I am what." Te I am terrific. You always say, I am terrific. And they say, Bobby, why are you limping? Because your hip hurts, your knee hurts. And what do you say? Why are you limping? And you say, because that's the style. That's the style, right? That's the style. <laughs> that's adorable. Yeah, so we grew up. I mean, Erica and I were just talking about it the other day that at home, whatever, we're five, six, I remember on my parents' nightstand, there was a book, black and white, about concentration camp. Uh, and I remember opening it up and seeing the pictures, but you know, as a child, it didn't really make sense to me, but we heard that they were and things happened, but it didn't affect us that much. My mom's really good about telling stories, but always very positive. Her neighbors, she always had younger friends in the neighborhood. She always listened to music. I think music is what got her through. She always said she had a lot of records in Hungarian and Ukrainian. Mm. And I only found this out a few years ago because um, somebody that's whatever was our neighbor, a lot older, they used to babysit us. She, she said that my mother used to lend her clothes that came from America because my mom had a sister here. And she would always list, the window was open and she would always listen to music. So I think that helped her a lot, being very positive. Did she have night terrors? Yes. She does, yes. Still? Yes. How did you believe in God when you heard that she was in the concentration camps? Um, I think it was just instilled in us that there's a higher power and there's God, and we have to believe and survive by the miracle of God. And, you know, being in Russia, I remember... You could, we couldn't tell our friends that we were going to shul on Yantif or... Where was whatever. the shul? Was it out in the open or was it, it was in a basement? In, it was out in the open. Actually, we had two. We had one that was in the middle of the city, and then they converted it to a theater. It was two stories. I remember it was beautiful. And they converted it to a theater, and then they had the circus come. They gave the Jews a very small little house uh, wow. that was converted into a synagogue. I remember all the men were upstairs and the men were downstairs. I remember looking down and my mother used to give us stuff for Yom Kippur so to bring it with us. And we played with the kids outside to save the food. So for the breakfast, you know, she would share it with her. But by the time it was over, I think the food was gone. <laughs> it's okay. I remember my father used to carry us on his back. He had, 
always had a terrible back, but he always carried us home because we were so tired from Shul and Shabbos or Yon. So you kept Shabbos in Russia? We did our best. We wow. did our best. And then yes. you guys came here to America when you were how old? I was 11. In the 80s? Okay, 70s. And then you came right to L.A.? We came straight to L.A. Lived in the Valley for a year, and then... In the Valley. Okay. Uh-huh. So <laughs> you were Valley then, girls. And you learned English, like, overnight? Summer school. We had cousins here. We went to summer school, watched I Love Lucy, and... Oh, that'll do it. Okay. And, and that was it. So how did you meet Ellie, this, like, Orthodox guy? <laughs> it was by chance in New York. I, uh, I was there on vacation. And I was on my way to Boston. My cousin was graduating from MIT. We had a mutual friend, which we didn't even know. If I was visiting my cousin, I had family in New York as well. He said, oh, let me take you to the beach, but I want to stop at my friend's house and congratulate him. He has a grand opening of, of a store, electronic store that he just opened. So, And there was a motorcycle outside. And when I walked into the store, I just knew that he was the one. Oh, my God. No. It just happened. I said, this is it. He's the one. So I asked him for a ride on his motorcycle. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And that was in the days when you didn't have helmets, so you really were not so safe. Got it. His, his mother is the one that was the chef in the concentration camp. That was the Who's cook. Oh, the cousin? My mom has a sister. She was a chef. Cook. Cook in the concentration camp. Yeah. So she has a son and a daughter. Mm-hmm. So her son was graduating from MIT. Miracles no. that could have come out of it was... Having a son that would introduce you to your husband. Right. I don't know. It's a yeah, big thing to have a shirach. It's a big thing. No, but... Uh, wow. And then I met his mom. And we clicked right away. It was just like... I feel you know, it. Like when you feel like you've known somebody forever... Yeah, I do. I have friends like that. Yeah. It's just so strange. It's yeah. like, you know, you just open up yeah. to this person. And then I met his mother. And then she... I'm not going to say fell in love with me, but she did. Well, you're very <laughs> lovable. May yeah. she rest in peace. Like an amazing Amen. woman. Amazing. Wow. It was- How do you forgive somebody when they hurt you? Ooh, that's do you, a tough one. How do you not have this, like, generational trauma of, like, be angry, they're all against us kind of thing? You know, I don't know. I guess I'm like my mother. I don't, not that I, I don't hold grudges. People, and actually things have happened to me before, and people say, well, how can you be friends with them? I, I don't know. That's just my nature. It's like, okay, it did happen, and yes, they were awful, but whatever, I'm, just gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm still going to be their friend. And that's exactly what happened to one of my friends that passed away a couple of years ago. Do you say the bedtime Shema at night? We talked about it a few times, where you say, please, God, forgive those who have hurt me in this lifetime. And I do say it sometimes. Not the whole thing. Yeah, it's okay. You're very honest. Your mom said the same thing. She goes, I say to him, but not every day because I don't speak Russian or I can't say that. You're so cute. We're laughing about how cute you are. Thank you. You cute. Thank you. What about you? What's one, one thing you can say about forgiveness? Erica. I mean... I'm I'm similar to that. I mean, I do hold grudges. I do hold grudges. I do hold grudges. Does it work for you to do that? I guess it does to some <laughs> I mean, I forgive later on, but uh, I do hold a grudge a while. That's just my nature. Oh, uh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. She's like my dad. I'm like yes. my mom. Yeah, I told you. I said I'm like my but dad. But you know, he, he said the most <laughs> no. beautiful thing. And he started to cry. He got, 
really shaken up. He said, That's right. when our enemies, something bad happened to them, we should not be happy. And he was crying. So he also forgives in his own way. No, but he is a much better person. You're, bo- you're all amazing people. He is. He, is, he has a good heart. I mean, he, is, he has a really good... Soft heart. Soft heart. What do you admire the most about your parents? There's so much to admire, oh but God. what would you say? My mother is her strength. I wish I had of a percentage of what my mother has. Her strength, her just wit. Her wit, yes. I mean, she just... I call her the firecracker. <laughs> she is unbelievable. And my dad, is, he's super smart. He is super smart. Very smart. I yes. wish somebody would have given him a chance when we came to the States. Yeah, yeah. That means me. Because, you know, like he had to go to work, and he didn't really go to school to learn English, but so he's self-taught. What do you mean, give him a chance? What do you mean by that? It's like, my mother always said, don't speak bad about dead people, so there's nothing to say about it. If somebody would just take an interest in him and say, hey, why don't you go to school, learn the language? I see that you're really good in math. I mean, my father has an amazing brain. You tell him something and he could just figure out the numbers. Great in history. I mean, he could have been an accountant. He could have been a CPA. I'm sure of it. What did he do instead? What was his job? Well, menial jobs. I mean, we were lucky enough that somebody, uh, my aunt, my mom's sister, had a friend here in L.A. that... Uh, knew somebody, somebody that knows somebody, actually in the community, I think Emily Handlish, she gave my dad a job working in a liquor store, you know, just schlepping heavy boxes and all this stuff. And then during the day, he worked in a furniture store downtown. So, and then eventually he, him and his uh, brother-in-law opened up a, like a, like a little mini market in the valley, like a butcher shop, grocery store, whatever. But like he did pretty grocery. well. He brought you guys up in Beverly Hills. Yes, so... And you're very accomplished, both of you. What's one thing you for sure admire about him besides being smart? What's one thing he is because of... He's kind. What is, He's just a very kind person. Yeah. He's very quiet. Yes. He, he, he likes attention one-on-one. He doesn't like to butt in when there's a group of people speaking he just likes the one-on-one attention and and he lets other people speak oh yeah he let your mom go the whole time (laughs) and he was feeling everything she said you could see the tears well thank you so much for letting me be here i feel so honored to be here oh my god so i just have two takeaways that i want to point to how holy is that music that rachel sings i just wanted to keep the whole song in there because I it reminds me so much of my grandma Pacheva Bat Yisrael her Neshama Shev and Aliyah she always used to sing to me Yiddish songs like my Yiddish mama and and Russian lullaby which I just recorded and you can hear it at the end of this podcast it's out on Spotify YouTube wherever you get music and I even rewrote the second verse to commemorate my grandmother and how she used to sing to me the second thing that I think is just so powerful, he didn't say much, but if you listen to Arthur slash Avraham, it's Hebrew name, speak about how he can't understand why so many people hate the Jewish people and how he never wished for pain on those who were our enemies or who were hurtful to us. Just hearing him cry like that, it does something to you, right? And I hope 
that this episode has, and I hope that it has brought you more clarity in how to deal with adversity, with people who may sadly be asking for the destruction of certain groups of people. May we all only know peace. May we all be that peace. May we see Mashiach immediately. And may we only experience love on the highest level. It, it feels so easy when I meditate, when I pray. And unfortunately, when I turn on the news or social media, it just feels like it, it can be so far away. But it doesn't have to be. It begins with us. And we, like my sister, Kathy, always says, we are the radio. We are the receivers of the signal. So if we can be the light, then we have a much better chance of spreading that light. And it's so much more powerful than any blood libel or falsehood that that is trying to be spread. Don't, don't get caught up in trying to prove to the entire world, you know, 70 billion people what the truth is. Just be the truth. Okay. God bless you. Thanks for listening.
If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode could inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always. Always.